0: Hello, this is James Ippolitti, host of Out of Silence. I wanted to jump in just to let you know that you may hear that it is the Songsmith Podcast or Creativity Gurus Podcast. Season one of both of those have been combined to the name Out of Silence, and that will be the name moving forward for any interviews that I have about creativity. So don't be confused songsmith podcast and the creativity gurus is now under one brand out of silence peace have you heard about anchor it's the easiest way to make a podcast i'm so serious super easy let me explain first it's free there are creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast from your phone or your computer mostly i would use the computer but i just did the phone and it was super easy Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And doing that yourself is a pain in the butt. So, so happy they do it for me. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need, all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, let's get creative. Welcome to this special spooky Halloween edition of The Creativity Guru. I am your host, James Ippoliti. On this edition, I speak with writer, director, producer Terry R. Wickham. We talk a lot about his new film, Devil's Five, and it's a long interview, so I don't want to get too much into what's coming up but a lot of spooky goodness. Terry is an amazing creator as well as a hardcore horror fan, so you will enjoy the hell out of this interview as much as I do. I guarantee it. Now, if you like this podcast, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you give me some five stars on those Apple podcasts and tell your friends. Now, since this spooky season, I started a new Patreon ...called The Analog Horror Club. So if you like reading horror fiction... ...or if you want to get your kids into horror fiction... ...what it is, is I do everything without digital help. I write stories on a typewriter, photocopy it... ...and mail it to your actual mailbox. There are different tiers. The first tier, uh, the lowest tier is called Tiny Terrors... ...where I do a one-page horror story for ages 9 through 12. And then, of course... If you do the $5, uh, that would be an adult horror film. I'm sorry, film, An adult horror story that I type up on my typewriter of doom. It's a 1950s Remington super writer possessed by malevolent supernatural forces. Yes, it's an evil typewriter that lets me write scary stuff. So, go to patreon.com slash jamesiplitty. I will put the that link as well as all Terry's links in the show notes. So, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Terry R. Wickham. Thank you for turning me on. All right, my guest today is Terry R. Wickham. He's a five-time award-winning writer, producer, director known for Out of Touch Evil Streets, the award-winning Washington Road, Hair of the Dog, Devil's Five, which won Best Horror Film at Hell's Kitchen in New York City, Gruesome Threesome, and his latest psychological suspense thrower, Double Vision, which won Best Thrower Film, also Hell's Kitchen, and took uh, a top audience award at the International Film Festival of Manhattan. Awesome stuff, Terry. Thank you so much for coming on and talk to me.
1: Yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on here, James.
0: Yeah, no problem. So um, I just. You know, recently watched Devil's Five. I had such a, just so much fun. And it's the best time of year for this to come out. So, uh, uh, but but it, I guess COVID and a lot of other things might have delayed it. When was it originally
1: going to be released? It was originally going to be released about two years ago. Okay. And there was a combination of two problems, really COVID and my father got throat cancer. And oh, they only I'm sorry. gave him five to eight months to live. So that kind of took me out of focusing on the movie. Why? I I kind of had to attend to him, go to see yeah. him. And you know, and, and then right after that I couldn't just jump into it. I'm sure you understand. Right. Oh yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, you're not there. So let's let's start with what was the the seed, the origin of Devil's Five because this to me uh seems like a very big thing to take on. So explain to everyone what Devil's Five is.
1: So back in the end of 2013, I got a phone call from a friend from Seattle, Washington, where I grew up. And he had an idea that he had seen two guys locally, had put out films that got distribution by taking little stories. And they kind of split them up to some filmmakers. And then they kind of pooled their talent and got their movies released. So he thought the same thing he should do. He reached out to me from Seattle because I'm from there. And he said, would you like to go in with three other directors And we'll each make one movie. We have to all theme it around the devil because he had come up with the title, Devil's Five. And he said the only thing he asked is would would they be found footage approach? Because he kind of thought that would give it a little – he thought it was the right way to do a story. And then he said if they could all be about the devil. And at the time, I didn't have a story for that. So then he goes, I have one more prerequisite for you. He said, I really like the movie that you made back in 03 called Hair the Dog, which is part of Gruesome Threesome. Mm-hmm. It was a 45-minute movie at that time, and it didn't have a place to go. So we eventually put it on Gruesome Threesome with two of my old movies and gave it a, a, a chance for the public to see it. And you can watch that on Vimeo.com you know, on demand, Gruesome Threesome. So, uh, so he said, I want you to ha- ask the writer of that film, Tim Clark, would he write the episode that you direct for this Devil's Five? And I said, I can't talk for Tim, but I'll ask right.
0: him. Right,
1: right. So that, that was really the, the, the origin of it. And then we kind of had to recruit other directors. And we ended up getting a, I got a friend of mine who kind of came to me from Texas. His name was Brian Weiss. He's a very accomplished Hollywood stuntman, stunt coordinator, director. And he said, could I get involved? And I said, well, I'm going to write the wraparound. And I knew he was great at stunts. So I kind of designed it to be action horror. So the movie kind of start out with a bane. you know. Right. Start As you know, it starts out with a car chase.
0: Yeah, the car chase, yeah.
1: And I thought Brian would be great for that. Unfortunately, Brian had cancer. And Ugh. he ha- he actually died before he got a chance to make the film. And that was a real shame for me because Brian was a good friend. And right. it was going to be the first time we worked together.
0: Yeah, I saw that at the end. You had that, you know... Immemorial. Um, yeah, it's sad. Uh, so you you then take the range. You're going to be doing this, uh, the front. and the, Well, basically, I, it's a little different to the wraparound because it's actually in between as well. I mean, it, it's, it's not just... Because, you know, um, I know that Joe Dante did an anthology where he just did the opening and the closing, nothing in between. Um, and this is more like... We get this opening, but throughout the thing, we go back to it, which I really like. Uh, I love how what's happening in these little stories is affecting that wraparound. Really clever. It's clever also that we got these thumb drives, and each thing is on that. I think that was a really
1: smart way of putting this together. Uh, where did that come from? Well, you know, I, I I thought about the world we live in today, and it's so electronically based. You know, phones, tablets, you know, computers, etc. And I just thought, if the devil's going to come in and try to infiltrate our world. What way would he do it? And I thought right. maybe by electronic means. So I thought that a lot of people might get that. It also kind of ties to the ending, as you know, which I don't want to say. Right. And, and I, I've seen a lot of anthology films where the where what's happening in the movies doesn't affect the people that are outside – the movies. And I thought that that was a better way to make it connected. Because I saw someone recently reviewed it, and they said the four movies have nothing to do with the, the movie, the wraparound. And it's not true. They're not watching it. No, it's not cl-
0: true at all. They're not, they're, it doesn't take much to
1: figure that out. So they're clearly
0: either, you know, probably stoned while they were watching it. Yeah. Uh, because it, it
1: absolutely makes sense. And, I mean, and, it's. And, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but we actually, because we had time before we shot these, We made sure that they were integrating. So if you watch in the wraparound, which, like you said, is between beginning and in between and the end, some of the characters from those movies are actually in different movies. You've Mm -hmm. got people from Stash in Choke, people from Choke. You know, so they're actually mixing, Mm -hmm. and a lot of people fail to see that, which is really sad because we made an effort to tie them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I. And then the wraparound does affect the people that are watching the drives. I,
0: I think those—it's uh, not as important that they catch that stuff because I think those are fun Easter eggs for people to go and revisit the film for a second time. Yeah, you know that—that that, I love films that do that where you'll hear that you're like, "Oh, really? I got to go check that out." You know, um, so that's really clever that you had that going on. Now, do you have a? Uh, I guess you can't really say you have a favorite, but do you like have a favorite out of, all of them? Well, I
1: do it. <laughs> well well that that's cool. Uh what I, what I will say to you is, you know, just to go back to the origin just for a second because there's something before we go to this and don't make sure I don't lose what you wanted me to say. Um so we had five guys that were going to direct this. One died, which is Brian. So now someone had to take over Brian's essentially what Brian was going to direct which I wrote. Right. And originally it was going to be a guy f- from Seattle. Because he has all his own equipment He was a little bit better in financial shape than I was. And last minute, he told me, I don't think I should do it. I think you should do it because you wrote it. Right. So I kind of – it was right right when I was about to direct Stash. You know, the movies were all shot at different times. Uh, Stash, which is essentially the last movie in the movie movies, um, that was shot first. And then I think the second one was uh, probably – uh, was uh, Don't Say These Words. Mm-hmm. And then was the wraparound, which we call The Devil's Five. We put mm-hmm. the word the in front of it. And then I think after that, it was Abandoned and then Choke. Or Choke might have came from a band, like something like that. So it was 14, 15, 16 when those four five movies were shot. Okay. And, but anyway, so what ended up happening, which is kind of interesting for the whole film, and I don't mean to bog this down, the guy that was from Seattle... When I was doing the wraparound, I actually had lost my regular job about four months before we shot, which made things very stressful at home. Right. And, you know, we're not backed by a corporation. We crowdfunded a few of these movies. A couple of them were actually just family and friends giving money. So we didn't have a lot to work with. Right. And and when my friend came out from Seattle, he said, I'm going to come out because you need help. And believe it or not, I had caught pneumonia ten days before the shoot. Wow! So, so I directed with pneumonia. The doctor said, "Don't stay on your feet. Don't stay up late. You got to rest." Because I think I got pneumonia because I was stressed about the movie. I was stressed about the job, and um, I was just like one of the actresses told me she couldn't do the film two weeks before the wow. shoot. So I was under tremendous uh, uh, pressure, and so he comes out to Seattle from Seattle. He helps me immensely. I actually didn't really see him much because we were so busy on the film and he was kind of acting as a line producer. So he's making sure when we are on a 7,000 foot airport runway, shooting those car chases, which is amazing, we pulled that off with no money to get approval for it and then to be able to do it. And he got outhouses, he was connecting food and et cetera. And after the shoot, I always write these really detailed blogs to thank everyone. And when I did my first blog about that shoot, I focused on the six people I felt were the most important. He was one of them. Right. He ended up getting really upset. His feelings got hurt that I didn't single him out alone. Hmm. But there was a guy that paid $500 a weekend for the ambulance twice. We had someone that got us the runway from town of Riverhead. Right. We had someone that was you know basically bringing his red cameras to shoot my DP. Right. So without those people, we couldn't have made the film. Mm-hmm. But I, But anyway, he got his feelings so hurt, he said, I'm going to quit. I don't want my name to be mentioned. I'm gonna not direct the episode I had. You can keep the name Devils Five. Obviously, the films you guys are making your own. So now we lost the second director, the guy who came up with the old idea. Wow. And a- then he said, "I don't want you to ever call me again. I don't want you to ever email again. And if you want to talk to me, go through my father, who's a lawyer." Is that insane? wow? Is that so? Anyway, which that I sounds ha-
0: like. You know, the devil was apparently working behind the camera as well.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and this and this was a friend of mine since 1987. Wow! Which I, I I really was shocked, and and I didn't do anything bad. I just made him one of the six people I talked about, not just the right. only one. Right. So so anyway, we were essentially at that point only four movies, wow. so it it forced me to come up with a fifth movie. And I felt like, you know what? Let me be the guy who does it because I was the most experienced as a director out of the three of us that were left. Right. Mm-hmm. And I moved really fast. And I knew his film that had left had a couple qualities that the other other films didn't. Um, a little bit of nudity, which I kind mm-hmm. of felt we needed for an underground, low-budget horror film, right?
0: Right, you right. Know, give,
1: give us something the, the Hollywood studios won't. Yep. And and I also thought it should probably be the first movie within the movie, so it'd be fast. And I want to do something really short and sweet. So that's that's what Abandoned was. Right. Yeah. Abandoned.
0: Uh, what I found fascinating was we have a mutual friend, Chris Sasser, who um, shot a film sort of in an abandoned location. And hearing the stories of his experience on set at an abandoned place, just hearing that opening where they're in the car discussing all the dangers and things like that. That is it, it, just being in the industry, knowing the way it is with low-budget film, you really captured, even though it was just a photo shoot, the same thing happens on film shoots where you're like going to these crazy places. Not And, and you know, if you grew up around when we grew up, those were the places... You went to um, in this area in Philadelphia, we had Byberry, which um was the mental institution that got shut down and and you know the devil worship is all there. We used to visit that as teenagers um so that was a really good creepy opening, and I liked how you held on for the reveal of the place you know like thank you uh, I really appreciated that because. At first, I'm like, all right, he's got to show this to us, right? We got to see this place. And then when you do, it's worth the wait. That is a beautiful shot. Uh,
1: what in a, what building was that? Well, you know, <clears throat> we we actually shot in a few places because those places will never give you a permit mm-hmm. to go inside them because of what's in there: right. lead paint, asbestos, etc. So. I'll just say there are two historic places in private, I'll tell you, but I don't want to put it out in the world because okay, no we we're, weren't supposed to go there. Yep. One of them, we actually got kicked out of twice, <laughs> but we, we didn't stop and we went back again. Yep. And, you know, as a, you know, a gorilla an independent filmmaker, you can't let anything stop you because everything right. will. And so, so I want to go back to your question because I just realized I never answered you. As far as my favorite, I think I, I have a. I really have a soft spot for Stash. And, and and the reason why is I'll tell you this. When my friend quit the movie and said don't ever talk to me, you can keep the title, you guys can make the movie. He said to me the your movie Stash which was the first shot so he, so the someone had shared the rough cut with him. Okay. Which is a big no-no on, the, on, you know, on a movie because they right. don't know it's not done. We had no – nothing was complete. The fact is we didn't have enough money really to hire a good sound recordist. So we only had half the movie with sound.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we found out that the sound that was recorded was not good enough to use. So we actually technically had a silent film. Right. And when this guy saw it, he said, this is a movie that will never be able to be fixed. It's, it's not watchable. It's not fixable. If you put it on your uh, credits and you put it out in the world, it will blacken your name for the rest of your career. You you will be making a grave mistake. Put it in a closet and never let anyone see it. And I said to him, that's not what I'm going to do. I spent uh, so much time making that film. I got Steadicam when I was told I'll never get it for the budget I have. I got, mm. I got you know, we have a demon in the movie, et cetera. So I just said, I'm going to do everything I can to prove you wrong and to make you— you know, take your words out of your mouth. And I worked about a year. We had to ADR it. Yep. We end up finding out the first ADR was not good. So we had yeah. ADR it a second time. Imagine bringing your actors back for three times when you're shooting and two ADR sessions. So I'm really proud of that because there's been a couple reviews that have come out that have pinpointed that film as their favorite, which is okay. Anyone can like their own, but I'm really proud about that because I was told it will never work and the fact is, a lot of people like it, and I'm very proud of that.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I do enjoy that one. It's not my favorite, but I do enjoy it. Uh, I think anyone, it's not, I don't, for independent filmmakers, it's not fair to put them up against Hollywood studio budgets and saying, you know, comparing that. You have to sit there and, you know, compare apples to apples, and when you're looking at an independent horror film. This is amazing to get what you did. Accomplished. And Thank the you. ADR, I'll say this, it was to me good enough that I was not 100% sure it was ADR. Awesome. Which I was really like, okay, this is either maybe it's my speakers on my computer, but like it was really well done with the ADR. And, I, you know, and I'll go back to saying if the story is compelling enough, it doesn't matter. Uh, if there's some little things, you know, that, that pop up and, and the idea of doing the geocaching, another brilliant thing to put into a film, a horror film using modern things. I thought that was and, and it's, it's like a little treasure hunt, you know, it, it was it was a lot of fun. And then to see how they used everything. I don't want to spoil anything, but, you know, yes, I enjoyed that episode a lot. Like, like I said, I did. But the, I'll, I'll go right now unless you want to uh, follow up on that.
1: Yeah, I'll just say that um, I can't take credit for the geocache idea, which was actually the writer of that film, which is Tim Clark, who wrote Hair of the Dog and also grew some threesome wraparound. Mm So Tim had been in business in Spain. At the time, he told me about it, which was right after that phone call in the end of thirteen, and he had said he. he I said, Tim, this guy wants you to write a script. Do you have an idea? He goes, I do. I was on business in Spain. I went on this thing called Geocache, which at that time I'd never heard of. Right. And he said, I went on this thing, and we went. I found this one, and the guy was hiding, and jumped out, and scared me. And I thought, if we could use that. In the wrong hands, imagine how that could work. So yeah. I immediately saw the idea, and so so in that episode, that was actually Tim's idea, and I got to give him all the credit in the world for that. Yeah, I actually did jump a couple times. Uh, you did, the, yeah, yeah. The, the, the first, and I watched it on
0: my laptop. Uh, <laughs> I watched it if anybody wants to. I just went to Apple uh, Movies or Apple TV, and you can search movies, Devils 5, and I uh, watched it on that way. Really easy to get to anywhere. Where else can they watch it?
1: Oh, they can get it at Vudu. They can get it at Microsoft. They can get it at uh, Amazon Prime. Amazon, yeah. Yep. It's all over the place. And you can buy the DVD, too, from randommedia.com, Devils 5. Yeah, the first
0: jump... I, I didn't expect it was your car scene when he, he walks up to, I don't want to, but you know, the, 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 guy who ends up killing everyone. Yes. Ends up, you know. Yeah. 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 Without saying it. That got you. I, that got me. I didn't, I didn't see it coming. I was, I just like, I felt like a, like a fool. Cause I'm sitting in my bed <laughs> and I, I jumped back, <laughs> hit my head on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, so my favorite, and it's probably because where I come from, my my youth was, don't say those words. Is that yep, yep right? Yep. That was basically me in high school with my friends, and there were there were so many laughs as well. I uh, couldn't like when when he's has his grandmother come in with the vacuum. <laughs> Oh, my God, so good, so good. Like, those scenes were so good. And then uh, just a lot of the dialogue where he asked him where he got the jacket, the funds. you know, uh, just a lot of good stuff. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, this is the 80s. This is pretty much who I hung out with. This is what we did. We hung out in the woods, (laughs) you know, doing all that stuff. Um, So I enjoyed that. And I also thought it was probably really simply accomplished. I'm not sure, but that scene where he kept disappearing and reappearing—yes, that was really impressive. Thank you. But was Thank that just basically like him running to another spot?
1: Well, well, I got to be in truth that that episode is directed by George Bionica, so that's right. George's movie. So I I don't want to say how he did it to ruin for the people out there okay, to yeah, break the illusion, don't, don't. but 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 uh, but I think he and his editor and his DP did a really wonderful job with that. You really? know, George... I couldn't catch any any like cuts. Yeah, I don't and, know how. Good. And to tell you the truth, that's based on a real story that happened in Northport, Long Island. You can look yes. it up online. Uh, there was a gentleman, uh, some high school kids in Northport, uh, Long Island, who had uh, murdered a boy, cut mm-hmm. his eyes out, and they blamed it on Satan, which ended up not being true. They were just drugged out, so they were high right. on drugs. Right. But you know, it was heavy metal and Satan was kind of, if you remember back that time, kind of exactly right in the media culture and parent parents and tipper gore and all that other stuff. You know, so he kind of played with that for this story, um, which is pretty cool, right? It's ingenious. Yeah,
0: yeah. it's why I really enjoyed it was because it was It was called The Satanic Panic. And, yes. you know, Geraldo Rivera had a whole show on it, uh, had Ozzy Osborne on, you know, talking about Satanism. Uh, and you're right, none of it was true. Yeah, I just enjoyed it because of that time period. Um, it had, a, you know, obviously it's one of those found footage. It, it was the most found footage of all of them, I yes. would say. Yes, yes. Um, and so that was interesting as well. Um,
1: so, what about what about casting
0: for this? Because you you found some great talent.
1: Oh, thank yeah. you, thank you. And and I just want to add one more thing. I'm I'm also one of my favorites. Not that there's any less than the other, but I'm also very proud of Abandon because it was the last one I made out of the three. So it's my most recent of that feature film. It's not my most recent film. Right. But but I also am really proud of it because. I wanted to make something scary in the day. There's no right. night. And I thought that was a challenge. And it and, and and it's also I tried to make the three I made, I tried to make them different even technique-wise. You know, mm-hmm. So, so you know, you had Stash with, you know, the phone and you're seeing stuff from her camera and all that. And she's setting it down. And then with the wraparound, you've got dashboard cams from cop cars and, yep. you know, stuff like that, the police station. So when I did Abandoned, I said, you know what? I kind of feel like with found footage, there's a big audience that likes it. And there might be an audience that doesn't like it because there's so much of it. So I thought, let me make a hybrid. Let me shoot it like a regular movie. So I did dolly shots, beautiful compositions. Right. I wasn't chained to a, a, a source that was recording something. And it was during the day. We shot in places we're not supposed to be. It's the shortest of all f- the movies. It's 12 and a half minutes. And, and the one thing, by the way, i got to give you a lot of credit for picking up at the beginning of Abandon. I've had a couple reviews that I've seen. That have criticized *Abandon* because they say, "Oh my God, there's this long talking scene inside this car with the two people before they go to the place." And what I don't understand is, there's a reason for that. I mean, first right. of all, it's a 12 and a half minute movie, right. that one. So you're not talking about a long film. And if if you if you know anything about filmmaker, which I think I think a lot of these reviewers don't, right. is the theory of Hitchcock is. Let the audience know something ahead of time. Right. So then they have to wait for it, and there'll be that apprehension, that suspense. Plus, you always want character development. So right. these two people are going to go in this place and start taking pictures, where are you going to develop those characters? So I thought if we spend three, four minutes talking about the place, we kind of set it up to create that tension and then we develop the characters before we see them and they stop talking and they start taking pictures and other things start to happen. So I give you a lot of credit for liking that opening because that was very intentional for for multiple reasons. Yeah, you know, there's, yeah, the Hitchcock thing is the, you know, there's a
0: bomb under the table, you know, there's a difference between, you know, terror and suspense and things. Um... And the other thing you brought up reminds me of um, it was on Evil Dead. And Sam Raimi was talking like with Bruce Campbell and Rob Tapert about the opening and saying, wow, people would just not put up with this today because we're trying to build character. We're trying to get story. We're trying to get all that meat there. So when the shit hits the fan. Yeah. You're going to be invested.
1: Yeah. And I I really think I really think, James, that that. We've got all these people saying, well, you've got to make it short. You've got to have all these cuts. You've got to cut this down because we have a short attention span. I really believe that when they're doing that, you're playing into it. You're feeding it. You've got right. – we, as a society, we've got to break that. That's not a compliment. It's right. not a compliment to say you have a, a attention span the size of a pebble. <laughs> and everyone seems to think, oh, you've got to you – feed. why feed right. that? Right. You know, let's break that chain. Yeah, You know, just like the world's kind of destructing itself. When I heard William Shatner say when he went up and he saw it from space that he was horrified because mm. he says he sees that 50 years from now. And I'm not trying to get too environmentally conscious or political. Right. But but the fact is, in terms of movies, when everyone's talking about the short tense, I, I don't want to play into that. Right. Well, well, I, I, w- I want to break that right. chain. So, right. so I mean, I'm not saying my movies are two hours and 43 minutes or anything like that. It's a 12-and-a-half-minute movie. Right. So if we spend three or four minutes developing them and setting you up, I don't think that's a negative. No, it's not at all. And, again, it it builds – like I said,
0: if you didn't have that payoff, then there would be an issue. But the payoff was worth it. we developed these characters. We know who they are. Um, what's fascinating to me also is – I had a different idea of what the villain would be going into it, who that would be, and you know, um, you know, for a woman to go to an abandoned place with some guy to take pictures, you know, it's not the safest choice. Right. So I'm wondering who's who are these people and and what's but but again you twist it, and we're like, okay, what's going on here? And I I also recognize that you shot that in the day because when um it's interesting trying to do horror in daylight. Um, Cause I'll tell you the one scene that I was like, why is she doing this is when she runs down that dark stairwell. I'm like, what are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> like what is I, but I, then I was like, well, what other choice at this point? You know, but like that, that's scary shit. Like, uh, you know, uh, good work on, on that abandon. Like, I think it paid off. Um, again, horror and daylight is a fun
1: challenge. And that's what we should
0: be doing as people as filmmakers is challenging yourself.
1: I totally agree. And and, and you know, and when she gets to that stair without giving too much away, if you pay attention, you can hear someone coming down from yep. above. Yep. So so she does you know she's just come from this way and there's some she really don't have any choice. Right, that's what but, I said.
0: There was no choice, but I'm like, I, I don't know what I would do. I don't know. But
1: but to be honest <laughs> with you, I can tell you that's by design by me as the writer. Because I wanted I wanted the threat in that story to directionalize her to where they wanted her to end up. So that's yep. actually, there is a design that's not by accident. Right. That They're doing something to her. Yep. Though she doesn't know but she has no choice. So if people would pay attention, and plus, you know, I love that it's a kind of a quiet movie. You know, mm-hmm. it's not loud stuff flying around and all these fake effects and stuff. It's got that kind of subtle build, more like a Carpenter's Halloween yep. or something like that, or The Fog. So... You know, because that's what I come from. I come from that historic, top-of-the-line horror filmmaking from the 70s, which none of the guys I see today can come close to that. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and Carpenter was the first one that came to mind when you talked about horror in the daytime. Because if you watch Halloween, I mean, come on, that scene with Michael just standing on the curb in the daylight near a bush (laughs) is... (laughs) <laughs> horrifying the other when when they look out the window and he's standing by the laundry outside hanging oh my on,
1: God that's horrifying right I mean that that's just genius filmmaking he, right he's and, and, un, and think about and, th- and think about it, James it's not in a dark room with a candle and something jumps out you're yeah. talking about building it and in- Plain sight, yep. I think that takes a lot more talent and imagination, yep. creativity, and directorial vision than to have a loud noise yes. jar you with a with a jack-in-the-box, so to speak. Yeah, it's cheap, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's just a cheap way out. And, and I
0: agree. There are some filmmakers – Um, like I like the Conjuring movies, I think. Without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, but I think he's playing along those same rules that we're talking about.
1: I think he's rooted more with the 70s than he is with with the, you know, cut every five seconds, filmmakers today, you know, or or two seconds. Yeah. But to answer answer your casting, I want to go back there. I'm always trying to keep, so, uh, you know, when you have a low budget movie like this, you have to go by any means you can. So with, I, I can't speak for George and Edwin, Edwin made choke and George made don't say these words. But with me, I went, I use uh, a site called Breakdown Express, which is connected to a site called Actors Access. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I also used backstage.com. And okay. I would audition actors. Uh, you, believe it or not, I did it mostly through Skype. Okay. At that time, at the, back at that time, now it'd be Zoom. Yeah. But I did it through Skype because it was safe for them. Don't, they don't know who I am, if you're a woman, whatever. Right. And it was, they didn't have to travel, and I didn't have to go rent a place. I could just do it right online for free. Right. So that, that's how I found my actors. And some of them, I'm trying to think if I'd work with them on anything else. I think for the most part, these were all new actors for me. To, because, by the way, Stash, something else I'm proud about, Stash, by the way, and I don't mean to keep going back to. It. My daughter was born in 2008. I made a conscious choice not to make movies for the first five years of her life. I stopped. I was a conscious choice. So that was the first movie after that five-year break. And when you work out, you know, like you're working out, directing is like a muscle. When you don't do it for a while, you could get rusty. So I was coming off a five-year layoff on purpose. And the fact that some people like it. And, you know, we actually made it the last movie thinking it was going to be the one that delivered the goods the most. Now, whether or not it does, that's up to the viewer. But um, I've had a lot of people tell me you put the right one, you know, there at that spot. You know what I mean? So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. Um, for the wraparound, you um, your no, you know, I'll say the bald-headed guy, so I don't reveal anything about Ralph him. Ralph Sheepers, yeah. Yeah. So he's a rock you star.
1: Find him? He's, he's a real-life rock star. He's the heavy metal singer for the band Primal Fear from Germany. Okay. So he's like Rob Halford. Yeah,
0: he's, yeah. He's today's
1: Rob Halford. And he also is in a band called Ray, world famous in the heavy metal world. And I like heavy metal music. Right. So... Uh, I wanted there was a song off the band's album called Delivering the Black which came out right before we were filming the movie and I liked it so much because it had that hard, aggressive push, and I thought, you know what? That's the song I would like to use for the end credits when the movie ends. Mm-hmm. There's that, you know, you have that climax, and then there's like a second of nothing, and all of a sudden it hits you. And I thought that would give the energy I want for the wraparounds credits, because all the credits at the end have different music based on each movie. Right. So I approached the record label to ask if we could get licensed the song. We negotiated with the record label, and we came to an agreement with my partners and them. And then they said, well, we also need you to get approval from the band. All right. And the band was coming to New York City, so we got backstage passes. We met with the band. And I knew the bass player, Matt Sinner, was the main guy, but the Sinner was, like, right behind him. So Ralph came up to me backstage. I'd never met him before. I didn't know him. And he said, by the way, I'm very interested in acting in a movie. And I was kind of put off because I wasn't there to talk to him or try to cast him. Right. And so when I left there, the guy that was from Seattle, that was his favorite band. And he says, you got the guy who wants to be in a movie. We've got to take advantage of that. So you've got to build him into the part. He's the guy who should play this part. Because I think I originally wrote him to be kind of like a criminal, Uh, you know, kind of a muscular kind of – which he fits, Right. Right. He fits. So anyway, that's how we got him, and he's a true-life rock star. So it took a little bit out of our budget to, f- <laughs> to fly him from Germany to here yeah. and to put him up in a hotel, which I'm pretty a genius at. I am getting a hotel for free for him at their best suite. It was pretty amazing. I have a talent for that. So wow. So he got, like, the best suite in the hotel. It was pretty amazing because, you know, I, you have to do those things when you have no money. But That's right. I have to tell you, I've worked with a lot of actors – over my 30 years as a director and to work with a real like rock star you might expect like diva behavior to be pampered was not the case work like a demon great down-to-earth guy had no kind of hang-ups or anything like that um, was on a different time zone he was here for basically about four days mm-hmm. and he was much better than any of the specially younger actors we had because they are the worst by far. They don't have the same work ethic. They don't have the same intelligence. They don't have the same drive. And to work with someone like him, he's him. Him and I are very close in age. We're actually right. born in the same year. And okay. so, uh, I give him a lot of credit because I thought he did a great job. He was very grounded and, uh, I was very happy he Was part of the film. Yeah. I enjoyed him
0: uh, a lot. And in, in that scene and, uh, I especially love the little uh, accents, the, the um, German speaking when he would say those scary words in German. It was just like, yeah, I thought, I thought you know
1: what, when I because I wrote that and I produced it and direct that movie. And so when I was writing it, I said, you know what, we should have a couple places where it's in foreign language because yeah. he's kind of speaking under his breath what he's saying and they don't understand yeah. it. But then we put subtitles of what he's saying. Yeah. Did you so you like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was a really nice touch. Uh, really awesome. Nice I'm, touch. I'm glad you liked that because I thought it gave it a different dimension, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it puts him in basically um, – and, and, you know, you get the sense. He's aware of what's happening. He knows what where what kind of shit's coming, and, you know, they just keep wasting their time instead of listening to him. Exactly. And I think those, those little moments uh, just really push that – Idea even further, you know.
1: Thank you, thank you. And and, and by the way, I I've got to say because I, I I mentioned abandoned stash is two of my favorites. I can't leave out the wraparound. You know, they're like babies, so you're not going to dislike any of them.
0: Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But
1: but but that's the biggest film I've ever shot. Crew rise. We had sixty people work on that film, and for a mo- movie that doesn't have a lot of money, which is a credit to my crew. Look, I I didn't make that by myself. I had, right. I had sixty people. So wow. so you know. Uh, that's not an easy task to juggle all those people and to make it work in, in unison. But um, especially when you have pneumonia, which I did when I yeah. made that film. So I'm, I'm pretty proud of that as well as an accomplishment. And I can't thank all the folks that, you know, contributed to that as well because without their help it couldn't have been Rick Kern, he got the tents to have everybody stay and feed under a runway, you know, my friend from Seattle, so anyway, so I got to credit them as well, and I I thought the actors in that film, I don't know if you noticed this but at that time we weren't so socially volatile about different color and race, but I made a kind of concentrated effort back in 15 to make my movie different, people so the lead in Stash is from Israel. The lead in the wraparound is from Germany. The woman is from, she's, uh, you know, she's from uh, Latin descent. And then the lead from Abandoned, the female, is from Africa. She's, yep. she's from Ghana. So yeah, you know, we have a worldwide uh, cast. I picked that up. And uh, it's interesting it's coming out in
0: 2021. There were two things. One was, yes, you definitely were ahead of Hollywood when it comes to diversity in film. Um, it wasn't it's interesting because we're seeing that now in twenty twenty one but the viewer today has to realize this happened what five six years ago we
1: filmed that six
0: years ago in fifteen yeah, six years ago when people weren't doing that, you know, and so now it seems like okay, here it is, but that that kudos to you, I mean major props for that because that is something Hollywood again always behind a ball on everything uh and uh, you know not until people start demanding it but you were ahead of the game there i you know applaud you for that the other thing that i found interesting that i wonder if people will get was in abandoned you bring up here take the mask now that has a whole different play in 2021 (laughs) i know it's because you're going to abandon and you got asbestos and things like that but it almost felt like Okay, well we're wearing masks because <laughs> COVID. Uh, yeah. It was it was interesting. Like I'm like, all right, I get it's not COVID, but it works either way.
1: Yeah. Because yeah, yeah Obviously yeah, and obviously we filmed that in April and July of of sixteen. So yeah. it was way before COVID. Yeah. But but you know, the reason why we used it was because they were in that place with that dangerous yep. stuff. And, and and as a director but you know, the reason why we used it was because they were in that place with that dangerous yep. stuff. And, and and as a director, to be truthful with you. I'm very conscious of being conscious of my cast and crew's health and safety. Yep. So I had I'd, I'd done a lot of research about that environment, and I offered masks to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I said, listen, I want you to be comfortable. If you want to wear the mask, you can. If you don't want to wear the mask, that's your choice. But I at least want to give it to you as a responsible leader of the production. Yeah, Do you think uh, John Landis would have did that? Probably, probably not. not. Probably not, knowing <laughs> probably which, not. how John works from afar. But, yeah. uh, but uh, I, I will tell you, when we shot the second day of that filming, uh, it was in July 23rd of 16. And on that day in Long Island, it was the hottest day of the year. It wow. was 97 degrees. And in that place that we were in, there's no air conditioning or fans because there's no electricity. It's abandoned. Right. So we're filming in this place with dust and debris. And I gotta tell you, it was the air is dead, like it's still. And yeah. we were sweating our butt off. I'd had my mask on for like three or four hours. The sweat was pouring down my chin. I got to the point where I said, I can't take it. I got I gotta take the damn mask off. So right. I actually took it off and I said to myself, Am I gonna regret this? years later for doing that. Right. And I went to see a doctor afterwards and I said, should, should I be concerned? And he goes, unfortunately, you're not going to know for about 20 years. But he goes, I doubt, I doubt that for that period of time for a few hours, unless you really kicked up the stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would say no. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because you'd really have to like basically scoop it up and start deep taking deep breaths for it to to matter. Exactly. Not that little bit, right? Yeah. You I, had a cigarette. If you had a cigarette once in your life, that's probably equivalent of that.
1: Exactly. And and I, and I wanted to go back to Devil's Five for one more thing about the people you're talking about, the world, and you know the different races and society. Uh, I I really tried to be innovative and diverse about the cops because if you remember the detectives in that room that interrogate, yep. You know the guy. You have. A white, Caucasian, older male, a black, younger male, Mm -hmm. and then an Asian woman. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How that is, that was very much a focus of mine, not because of what's happening now, because it wasn't then. I just thought, I just thought that's our world. And I I like to call my actors the human landscape. By that, I'm, I'm looking at their height, their body size, skinny, big. Boobs, no boobs, uh, you know, dark hair, blonde. I'm looking at all those things and I like to mix it because I think it's more interesting than if they all look like supermodels and they all right. look the same. Don't, don't right. Like you look at Rennie Harlan movies in the 90s and the 2000s, He had like all look like same height, same model. Everyone's a supermodel. And I'm like, he's a great director and I like his work, but that kind of gets a little tiring. You know yeah, I
0: mean, I mean that, that's the way. Even when Lost was on television, I said, you know what? Why, why is it that people who are in these, like, apocalyptic or end-of-the-world type things are so attractive? Like, you know what? What's the worst? Your, your worst story is that you're stuck on an island with beautiful people? Like, it doesn't sound like a
1: problem to me. No. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, and, you and, know? and going back to Abandoned, I have to give a lot of credit to Siaki Tate. The actress who played the model. Because when I was doing that movie, I had a real dilemma, which was I wanted to have a tiny little bit of nudity. There's no sex scene, as you know. There's no sex scene. But I thought we need a few seconds. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to have to cast an actress. We don't have a lot of money. How am I going to get an actress that's willing to do that for the financial situation that we were in? And so I knew that was going to limit my choices of who would be willing to even do that based right. on the parameters. So I put a note up and I put that there was nudity. Right. Not a lot, a little bit. And I got about 12 actresses that wanted to do it. And it ended up being there was probably about uh, three Latin, I would say about eight Caucasian, different colors of hair, and one from black she's from Africa so I narrowed it down to like the four three or four most the most uh desirable women for what I was looking for and when I I, when I auditioned them I actually said to myself okay who would most directors choose you had a Latin woman that was very beautiful there was a redhead she was very beautiful as well there was a blonde Caucasian and the girl from Africa the actress from Africa. I shouldn't say girl. She's a woman, obviously. So, right. so then, I, I thought they would take the blonde Caucasian. Right. So I said I'm going to be bold. And I'm going to choose her, not because of Black Life Matters that did not exist at that time. Right. But, but I also thought to her credit, she had the most beautiful smile. She had the most humble attitude. She thanked me profusely, which you don't necessarily have to do, but you could tell it was earnest. And I thought, that's the kind of person I want to work with. I had a couple friends after the auditions who asked me, Terry, were you looking for real or fake chest? I go, neither. That was not on my mind. They go, were you looking at the size? Which I'm a guy that kind of likes you know, big sizes. I said, <laughs> I said that was not on my mind. I wasn't thinking about the chest at all. I was thinking about what they look like when they smile. Do they look like they're happy? Do they captivate you? Obviously, they had to be attractive. But I was not thinking about the body at all. So I thought I made the right choice because, oh, my God, not only was she with the most beautiful women in the movie, but we end up doing double vision together, Mm -hmm. which I think she has an award-winning performance in that film, playing a totally different role. She plays a psychic. And in my next movie, which we're gonna film next year, which is gonna be the biggest movie I've ever made called Anomaly, uh, she is playing a different type of character. She can play in an EMS technician. And she's playing okay. one of the four leads. And that movie's gonna be bigger than anything I've ever done. I've got you know I, I've got William Ostrander from John Carpenter's Christine playing the, the, one of the main roles too as well, which is exciting. Oh my God. Yes. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah, I love
0: when I see directors working with you know the same people uh, over and over. it's just nice because it becomes this sort of thing you look for and and then the relationship actually grows, and the work gets better because of that and uh, you you just got that uh, trust between each other. It's really great stuff before we go on to these other films, let's finish with uh the one film that I am technically in uh, <laughs> Yes, you had to bring it up. I'm glad you're bringing it up because we shouldn't leave it out. Yeah, yeah Choke. Choke yes. is the film. Now, I'm going to say this. I actually was in a Kevin Smith production, wow. and I had more fun on your production than I did on Kevin Smith's. That was such a fun, wow, very fun night with me, Sasser, you, uh, all hanging out um, as extras. I was an extra in the Kevin Smith thing. thing. By the way, Kevin Smith production never got put out. It really? Was, yeah, it was produced by him. It was directed by I think Brian Johnson. Um Big Helium Dog. It's never it, and that must that's a testament on how bad that movie must have been. <laughs> <laughs> because um it, it's like you have Kevin Smith as the producer on this. He's actually in it too, you know, like he he and you have all the viewer uh, people in this film and it didn't get released. Wow. It has to be awful. It just... I can't even find like a bootleg version of it. That's crazy. Um, Yeah, yeah. They... I was like apparently um, a sick patient. Uh, We were supposed to be watching a movie where it cures us and they shaved my head and um, it was not a... I mean, I, I was happy I was doing it but it was not like when we were in New York doing Choke. Yes. That was very entertaining and it was the first time I actually got to see... Um, what we did That was a couple of years ago at this point, right?
1: Yeah, that was filmed in 16, I think November of 16 Yeah, yes.
0: and and so we were on a uh, rooftop in, in New York City Beautiful location, right? Beautiful Beautiful location um, it, it, I'll tell you This is, has been so long That when I watched it um, I'm like Is that me? <laughs> 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 And then I said, what the hell am I wearing a suit for? Yes. Right? Yes. And then I was like, oh, it's supposed to be. Yeah, because I completely forgot. Wow. I, I remember I remember the experience, like, enjoying the hell out of that night. But I forgot that we were dressed up nice. And I'm like, wow, I, I don't look so bad. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Uh, uh, I haven't dressed like that in a while. <laughs> but a suit and tie, I'm like, wow. That's probably the last time I wore a suit and tie. Wow. Um, but... That was an interesting piece, Choke. Um, very much, very much. It I
1: reminds me of David Lynch. Yes, I it, was going to say, it's definitely experimental. It's like an art film. And, and you know, for the people that are considering watching Devils 5, I think that's something about the movie that is, I think, a, uh, an attractive thing. They're not all the same. You know, Choke's got like an, a surrealistic art, David Lynch feel. Uh, Don't say these words kind of has that... A reverent humor, kind of porkies out in the woods with Evil Dead kind of mix. And then you've got the other three we've already talked around. So, yeah, I I thought... And by the way, I got to give Edwin a little kudos. The director of Choke, who wrote Choke and produced it and directed it. Um, He was my director of photography on The Wraparound and Stash. Okay. So he shot three of the movies. Mm -hmm. And George is in the wraparound, the guy who directed Don't Say These Words, as a pimp at the end of the movie. I don't know <laughs> okay. if you remember him. He plays, yeah. he plays um, we called him uh, Mr. Jingles, yeah. and he's got the hooker. So, so, you know, you've got the directors appearing in the movie, you've, but, but I agree with you. Choka has some different, it's, it's a different animal. And I thought that rooftop scene was so much fun. Yeah. Edwin came to me. After he saw how I could make my movies and get things for free, et cetera, and I'm good at that. And he said, Could you get me a rooftop full of directors and cast and crew? And I did, right? I went out to Chris and you yeah. and a bunch of all the other people there. And we had a great time, right? Yeah,
0: it was an amazing time. I mean, that, that was so much fun. And like I said, I've been on other sets before. And that, I, you know, just the way it was handled. It felt like a party, and there just happens to be a movie being shot.
1: Right? <laughs> and it wasn't so bad to have a pretty girl that you could kind of pick out <laughs> as your date. Because I said, let, let me let the director pick their choice, so to speak, even <laughs> though I really casted them, right? But that was fun to me. I mean, we were just acting, of course. It wasn't dating. Right. But did that kind of make – none of the ladies there were unattractive, right? I no, I was telling
0: uh, Sasser that. I'm like – because I don't think – I don't know if he's seen it yet, but I said uh, – I forgot. I said, I look better standing next to these beautiful people. <laughs> I'm like, had I been alone, it might have been a scary movie. But <laughs> with me there and then, I was like, wow, like this this puts me on another level. I might get a, uh, some more acting work from that. <laughs> I hope. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be great. No, but that was a lot of fun. And so um, I, I think if if anybody wants to enjoy this holiday season, you can go. Rent or Buy, Devil's Five. Um, I like that it's an anthology because if you do have a short attention span, watch 12 minutes of the first movie, <laughs> put it on pause, go get a drink, come back, watch the next one, you know? <laughs> Why not? I mean, it's it's basically like five episodes, you know, um, of horror, you know? I,
1: I, I, I call it a love letter to the fans because it was a labor of love. You know, none of this was corporate-backed. We did all we could to make the best movie we could. Look, we're not working with Hollywood crews, right? And a lot of those crew members are donating their time. May not got have paid. You know what I'm saying? Not everybody got a dollar for this, so you got to credit everybody's value. There's 180 people worked on those five movies, and I give I give them a lot of credit for doing that.
0: That's right. And I didn't get paid just so everybody knows who's listening. I got paid in beer and (laughs) hanging out with beautiful people. Yeah, and we had had uh, dinosaur barbecue for dinner that night. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was great. Um, So, yeah, so it's a great – again, anybody who – first of all, I don't listen to trolls on the Internet. Like anybody who's on the Internet and and they are trolling, that's because they are just sad. All right, so what I'm saying is everybody should go watch Devil's 5. Um, If you have something positive to say, absolutely put that on there. But don't listen to trolls. Um, They have nothing better to do with their life. And honestly, uh, like Terry, I think you and I uh, and our friends are watching film on a different level. And if if you appreciate film, you're going to get why certain choices are made. But if you're just, you know, looking for, you know, junk food of film, you're not going to get that here, you that, know? Th-
1: thank, thank you. and I, I, I really appreciate you saying that because I think that what, I remember when I talked to Bob Clark, the late Bob Clark, you know, Black Christmas, Christmas mm-hmm. Story Porky's. Yeah, great stuff. He told me that sometimes you have to educate your audience and your mm-hmm. critics and your critics. and Because he says they don't always understand the circumstance, they don't appreciate it. I think with these trolls, what they're doing is they're possibly swaying a person that would enjoy the movie by all their foul, vile language and hateful remarks. I don't know if it's people that can't make movies that are frustrated or if they're just people that are unhappy with their lives. But I would think as a society, if you like horror films, you should nurture them. You should realize that not everybody's working with the same you know, resources. And I, I don't know about you, James, but if I have a choice to watch something on a night after I come home from work, I would rather go after the independent little horror film, than the most recent Blumhouse release that you know is pretty much going to be exactly what you expect. And I'm not trying to just knock them, but you know what you're getting with them. If you find like a Texas Chainsaw, an Evil Dead, a Nightmare on Elm Street, those are like little movies or Nightmare, Nightmare you know, uh, Night of Living Dead. Those are the movies that had little that turn out to be a lot. And yeah. um, I think that. Some of the audience, the trolls especially, are not giving a chance to those kind of films. And I would hate to see the artists that are out there that say, okay, I'm not making upfront money from the distributor by releasing the movie. The trolls are attacking it, and people are you know, uploading for free or stealing it. So you're basically getting nothing good for putting a movie out. What happens if they stop making movies for that reason? Now we've lost yeah. a potential great director that could have gave us something. That's a shame, and I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, I don't think it will. And again, I don't
0: think anybody pays any attention to the trolls. I think, you know, going into independent film, you have to have the understanding of the difference between big budget and low budget, right? And if you understand that, then you understand... I mean, this is no different than punk rock in the, in the music in the 80s and things. You, you know, you look at Black Flag and, and these bands and you listen to those recordings you know, they are not compare. They are not good recordings, but but what they did was so important for the music industry and and independent music that you can't not forget that and you can't not support that. If we don't support independent film, you're going to have these same awful like kind of cookie cutter horror films and. Again, I, I, we talked about this before we recorded, but I have no interest in seeing a new Halloween or a new Scream. Uh, I honestly want new stories, new directors, uh, you know, I want new faces. Uh, I just argued with my son about them having a Super Mario animated movie and are putting Chris Pratt as the voice actor. I'm like, <laughs> who cares? Like, why? I said, if you want to see a Mario animated film, you're going to see it. It doesn't matter that Chris Pratt is on the poster. The That's game. right. That's right. I, it's animated. I don't get why they would waste that money on someone. And there are so many. To me, voice acting is a whole nother thing, you know. And there are talented, unknown voice actors that are not getting work because we're putting people like Chris Pratt in there. You know.
1: I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I I think I think that also, a lot of uh, I think our movie watching generation, especially the younger ones. Now I don't mean us, but a lot of the, they're they're I'd call them spoiled rotten because when, <laughs> when when I was a when I was a kid, if and I'm sure I'm talking about similar time frame with you, when when you're first talking about it, if you didn't see a film in the theater or if it wasn't on TV, right. you didn't see it. Then, That's right. Then cable came. Now, if you had cable, which I didn't, you mm-hmm. go to your, you'd look at your friend Showtime, crowd, yep. and My Bloody Valentine was that coming out next month at 12 o'clock? Guess what? You're going to watch it, and you're not going to shut it off because right. you won't see it. Then VHS came, then you had laserdisc and DVD and all this sort of stuff. So today, people have so much accessibility. Even their phones, that can watch the movie. Right. I think they don't value the movie. They're like, oh, I can shut this off. I can start it well, whatever I want.
0: They yep. don't care. Now Well, that that is entertainment period. Everything is disposable at this point in their eyes. Uh, you know, movies, music, everything is basically, yeah, whatever. But that said, there's no reason for you not to watch Devils 5, right? It's not like, you know, back when we were younger, you had to put down that money and, and choose a time, hope it didn't get sell, sell out. You know, like now... Devil's Five is a few bucks. Yep. You're going you're to pay more at Starbucks.
1: <laughs> or right?
0: McDonald's. Or McDonald's. Or McDonald's. You're going to pay more for something that's harmful uh, to your body, where you could pay the same
1: or less to watch Devil's Five and get a few hours of fun. There you go. There you right? go. I think that, and you know, to me, that's the bottom line about the movie it's to entertain you. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what we're trying. We're not trying to change the world. We're trying to give you uh, you know, two hours of entertainment with the credits. So so I'm I'm really glad you feel that way. And I think I also think that if you think of movies like you said before, and I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but you know, in baseball you've got major league baseball, triple A, double right. A, single A, and I think there's even below that. So when you're looking at movies, not everything is a major league movie. Right. And got, you know what? I'll tell you right now, I have more
0: fun at the Trenton Thunder minor league games with my kids and going doing that than going to the Phillies.
1: Right. You don't have to spend as much. You get closer to the players. There's less a crowd, less traffic. The same is with Devils 5 and movies like that. Why not enjoy them what they could give you, what the big ones don't give you? Not only that
0: is I'm sure, um, you know, somebody sees it and they like it. They can let you know and you can talk to them. Absolutely. You know, uh, try getting a hold of, you know, Del Toro. You're not, you know. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen. No. You, you don't even know if he's reading. Is he? Most of these people who are making films and acting in films, they don't even control their social media. No. You know, you're not going to get in touch with them. So it's like I like the independent film world, especially the horror film world. And the true independent horror film uh, aficionados, they know they can watch devils five and enjoy the hell out of it. And it's almost like those little things that make it independent is what makes it so enjoyable in my eyes. Amen. You know, amen. So let's talk about where you're going, what you got coming up. Like you've been working hard. It seems.
1: Yeah, I have. And by the way, I I, I know I said it before, but I just want to reiterate uh, if people can also see gruesome threesome. Now, when they see that, I put it out myself on Mm -hmm. Vimeo, on-demand, gruesome threesome. Um, it's it's two of my really old movies. One was made in 96 and one was made in 97. They, wow. were, they were part of the movie Evil Streets. But because Evil Streets had a third film by another director, they took their movie and kind of put it out themselves in another platform when right. we decided not to release Evil Streets digitally. So... Uh, the only way you could see these two old movies is you could watch, and, and they're almost like a time capsule. They yeah. were they were shot on SVHS. Oh, man. That's wonderful. With really primitive equipment. I love that. I've got one actress in the movie, has huge boobs. Her name's Serena Lee. She was a superstar in that field. She's not an X-rated actress. She was a big boob model, mm-hmm. and she plays in the second story called Stock, and In the third movie, we took care of the dog, which is a really good psychological serial killer movie. So we kind of put them together with a new wraparound, which was shot about three or years ago. But um, I think people would be great to see that because they'll see how much I've grown as a filmmaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and those we had even less money than we did on Devil's Five. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's interesting because, I
0: mean... Just David Lynch is a good example. We brought that up already. But look at Eraserhead. I mean, you look at that film, and he'll put that in front of an average viewer. They're going to be what the hell is this, right? But somebody who appreciates film understands what he's doing. And they might not understand it all, but they get it. And, and you can see, just like you said, where he came from.
1: And then go watch his later stuff and see where he went. Look, look, there's a reason why his talent got him from Racerhead to Elephant Man. Yeah. And then to Dune. And then to, you know, the other movies he's made. So hopefully people will see that same ascension with Devil's Five, Gruesome Threesome, Devil's Five, Double Vision, and now the next thing I make will be Anomaly.
0: Anomaly, yeah. So what's double, uh, let's talk about Double Vision. What, what's that? And when will that be out?
1: So, so Double Vision is a psychological thriller. Uh, after doing three horror films about the devil and gruesome threesome putting it out, I kind of wanted to do something different. So I, I, I wouldn't call it a horror film not out of shame, but just that I didn't try to make a horror film. Right. I, I wanted to go make like a Hitchcockian thriller. Okay. So nice. it, it's a movie that deals a lot about people and their relationships. So there's, you know, friendship, love. I actually, my first idea was I want to do a love story. Mm-hmm. So the first 15 minutes of the movie are, are truly a love story. But then it starts to change. <laughs> and my love of scariness and suspense starts to drift into the movie. Right. So it's got some of that because that's me. Right. Um, and as a filmmaker, the thing I value the highest as a storyteller, it is suspense. You know, suspense mm-hmm. could be is the girl you love gonna say yes when you give her a ring? That's right. Are you gonna find out you have COVID? Right. These are all things that are suspense. Is that fin in the water a shark? You know. So, I, I, that is the thing I gravitate to the most. So, double visions, a psychological suspense thriller, and it has, it's the most visually close to my style out of all the films I've ever made. When I was making Devil's Five, I had to kind of adhere for the most part to found footage which really trapped me a little bit as a filmmaker. I like to move the camera a lot Mm -hmm. in many different ways. You know, so in Double Vision, I think out of the movie, about 70% of the shots are moving in some way. Whether it's a dolly, a Steadicam, a drone, a crane, a jib arm, it's moving a lot. Rack focus, I mean, it's really visual. And I'm the type of director that doesn't believe in covering, because I think that's lazy filmmaking, and it's like filmmaking, you don't know what you want, so let's shoot a bunch of shots, figure it out later. I don't work that way.
0: Well, let's pause for a second, and I know Hitchcock did this. Uh, Do you, like, um, storyboard everything so you know not to take that coverage or
1: anything? I— I I don't always necessarily storyboard everything, but what I do do is I my shooting script, which doesn't go to the cast, but goes to my DP and my you know people behind the scenes. It has every shot figured out ahead of time. Okay, yeah, because Hitchcock and it, was that way. Yeah, he, and he it, would he would get put the camera. He didn't even
0: he thought it was the most boring part because he already did all the work on paper.
1: I do that with all my films because because yeah. to me that's a visionary director they see it beforehand visionary is not just a a media term to qualify for that word you've got to be visionary you see it and I see everything so there's like 10 scenes in double vision that only have one shot and a lot of people are like oh shit what happens if that shot doesn't work you could oh my god what what are you gonna do in editing I'm not worried about that I have the balls and courage to know that that's the way I see the scene it doesn't mean the camera's locked down. right. That could be a 20-foot dolly shot. It could be, It could be one going forward, it could be one going back, it could be a crane. So when I say 10 single shots for a scenes, that doesn't mean it's stationary. Right. It's probably not stationary when it, when it comes to my films. So right. So my, with, with, the, with anomaly coming up, which is the movie I've wanted to make the longest, I've been thinking about that movie for 17 years. I wrote it mm. back in '04. Wow. I see every shot. We could go out right now and we could film the movie. Right. And I don't have to guess. Which, think about it. That's smarter as a filmmaker because you're not wasting money oh, yeah, right. trying to figure it out. You know exactly what to do. And, and, I, and I've heard, I heard someone say the other day, a couple of months ago, you either do a lot of shots with okay performances or you do less shots and get great performances. You're not going to get both, especially right. if you don't have money. Right. So anyway, so Double Vision is my my Hitchcockian, Brian De Palma, Richard Franklin, you know, that suspense heavy with people, but it does have some scary stuff and it gets crazy. Yeah. And by the way, I try to symbolize that. It's another thing I do is even in Devils 5, I try to symbolize what the movie is, maybe even the title with... Subliminal things, psychological things, uh, Mm -hmm. physical things, story things, dialogue. I do – Devils 5, there's a couple subliminal uh, images I put in there. I don't know if you'll catch them, but they're there. Absolutely. My
0: my subconscious caught it. I don't don't know if I did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Even Even in Hair of the Dog. I did something in Hair of the Dog to show you who the killer was early. But you'll never see it because I know what you're looking at, and I put it kind of hidden in a shot.
0: I love that. that So, is is Double Vision finished shooting,
1: or? Yeah, it won two awards last year. Best, best yeah. So, so I have not put it out, and I'll tell you why. Okay. One of my movies I self-distributed, which is Gruesome Threesome, Mm -hmm. and one has a distributor, which is Double's Five. Right. I had never gone through the distributor part of it to see how that worked. Do we start to see funds? How does it get out into the world? So I wanted to see how that went before I decide which way I want to go with Double Vision. Because you know my name's above the title on that, and I'll tell you why. If I write it, I produce it, and I direct it, my name's going to be above the title. It's not just an egotistical thing. I have to brand myself as a filmmaker. And the truth is, John Carpenter is the director that inspired me to become a director with Halloween and The Thing. Right. So I'm doing what the guy I idolized did. So, um, and hopefully the movies are good enough to justify my name being there. But if someone else wrote it, I wouldn't do that. Like, it's, right. not, it's not above Hair the Dog because Tim Clark wrote that. It's not above, you know, so so it will be. So, ab- uh, wait,
0: but, but John Carpenter doesn't have a problem with that because he put John Carpenter's Christine, right? Mm hmm. Which Well, at that, at that
1: point, he was. Big enough as a filmmaker because yeah. because he had done Assault and Halloween and The Fog and Escape from New York. So he had the right to do that, whereas <laughs> right now I'm kind of at that Assault on Precinct thing or maybe a little below that. Hopefully okay.
0: Anomaly takes me into that Halloween level. If you end up directing a Stephen King uh, script, you're going to make sure it says Terry R. Wickham if i can be uh, that level at that point yeah you yeah, i'll make sure i'll call you up and say yo <laughs> you tell that's in the contract
1: yeah well you know you are going to be able to tell it's my movie because i think one of the problems i have with some of the filmmakers today is not to be overly negative a lot of them just kind of look the same you can't tell who did what you know but when you're talking about cronenberg yeah craven romero carpenter hooper hitchcock freakin you could tell that movie was theirs Yes. And and yeah. if, you watch, if you watch a Terry Wickham, our Wickham film, you will be able to tell it's mine. Do you
0: think, and I argue with uh, Sasser about this all the time, there are any, um, I think there's a few directors out today that you can say that about. I would say Tarantino. Yes. Um, I would probably say Del Toro, definitely. Yes. I'm trying to think. There's not many, though. Probably I'll count on one hand how
1: many I would say. Uh, especially the newer ones. Um, you, yeah. know, you can't count the old you know, Scorsese and all those guys. Right, but, right. But, right. but, but I, I would say few and far between. I, I would also say that about Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, Anderson. Yeah, I would say that about him as well. And and I think Tom Twyker from Germany. Run, yeah. Little Run, Winter Sleepers, Princess and the Warrior. He's one of my favorite directors. I love his work. Um, I actually think the... Best director that's new, that came out in the last 10 years, that has worked on a higher level than, say, I'm working, et cetera, I don't want to ever say myself, is um, I think that Fetty Alvarez, who did the Evil Dead remake and Don't Breathe, and the, the 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 sequel to one of those movies, big movies, I can't think of the name, he is freaking genius. Everything he yeah. does is brilliant. Camera, acting, suspense, violence, you know, pay off. He's a visual director. I, lo- right. I love his films.
0: Yeah. Best new, dr- I, best new yeah. director
1: in the last 10 years. Yeah. Edgar
0: Wright's up there for me as well, and he's actually going to be in Brooklyn this weekend because he has The Last Night in Soho, which I'm interested to see what that's going to be. Yes. Um, but I do enjoy his stuff. Um, so, yeah. So where can people find more about Devils 5 and Double Vision? Where can they find everything online?
1: Well, if you go to um dot com, that's my official site. There's links to everything, whether you want Gruesome, Devil's Five, want to find out about Anomaly, you want to find out about older movies I made, you can watch music videos. I have a YouTube channel show called Into the Depths with Terry R. Wickham. I talk to filmmakers, big boob models, horror authors – Film historians, you name it, heavy metal rock stars, everything. so uh, i've I started this year. Uh, I'm trying to build up my audience to follow my films and the work I do and the music I like and the, so so check that out. I try to release an episode every month, and nice. okay. I, I am not restricted to who I talk to. I, I have a drag racer that drives a top fuel dragster in about two weeks. I'm just coming off a show with that we talked about the top ten wh- horror films that have hard rock and heavy metal songs in them. We just recorded two, night, two or three nights ago. It's going to come out before Halloween. So if you like horror films, heavy metal, big boobs, drag racing, you're going to love my show. That
0: sounds amazing. That sounds like great stuff. So what is the uh, – give me a couple of these uh, horror films with the heavy metal that you are on your list.
1: They, they were on my list. Well, I don't want to give away too much of them, but I will tell you that a lot came from the 80s because, as you know, that was a big decade with speed metal, yeah. hair metal, you know, new wave of British heavy metal. So, uh, you know, you're talking Trick or Treat, Maximum Overdrive. Maximum t- you know, Maximum Overdrive, <laughs> Maximum Overdrive oh. had ECDC, Trick or Treat had Fastway. Yes. You know, yep. you have songs like Demons that had sax. Except, uh, yeah. you know, which is you know Mario, which is Lumberto Bava, produced yep. by Dario Argento. Dario Argento made Creepers, a la Phenomenon, which had yep. Iron Maiden, and I think Pretty Maids was in that as well. Uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, Ted Nugent did some of the score with Bill Conti on Nomads. You know, you have stuff like John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars, that Anthrax did the score with Steve Vai, Buckethead. So if you like that stuff, you're going to have a great time
0: listening to it. Wow, sounds wonderful. Well, Terry, I really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with me. And um, when you figure out how you're releasing Double Vision, I'd love to have you back on.
1: That would be fantastic. And if you haven't seen Gruesome Threesome, check it out. Because if you like to go back and see those older, really low budget VH, you you might like that. And uh, I've had an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much for supporting film, enjoying my work. I, I can't thank you enough. All right.